Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. Holds rates steady, saying the economy is strong. You and I have different versions of strong, but go with Jerome Powell on this. Tony Katz, 93 WIBC. Good rates did not go up. That does not mean that rates won't go up in the future, which is exactly what they said. It is more than possible, if not downright probable that they will. Jerome Powell stating economic activity expanded at a strong pace in the third quarter and they have left the benchmark interest rate in the five and a quarter to five and a half range. This will not change the fact that 30 year fixed uh, mortgage rates are at 8% plus. The spread it did uh, contract a little from over 300 basis points or 3% to 293 from the, uh, the the spread between the 10-year treasury and the 30-year uh, fixed mortgage. Still, 8%. That's where we're at. And people can talk about how it's going to go down in 2024. Believe it when I see it. But you've given me nothing that will make me believe it. The only thing I see are prices going up. Toyota, after taking a look at the United Auto Workers, getting... What looks like a very good deal for the UAW from the big three, they're now putting out a 9% pay increase to most U.S. auto factory workers. So they're going to earn about $34 an hour. They'll reach top pay in half the time. Which means car prices are going to go up. And that was the story just the other day. Now that you have these deals, the UAW has its deal with uh, the big three. You're seeing other car manufacturers, which are non-union, head down uh, this road of paying more. You're going to pay more. And remember, the UAW wants to unionize Tesla. They want control of it all. And they're going to try, they're going to feel really emboldened by this and try and fight Musk I don't know. I think I don't. I think Musk is going to tell Sean Fain, the head of the UAW, to pound sand, and I don't think it'll be that nice. Which is fine by me. Union is not the the end all be all. If you don't want to be in a union, don't be in a union. But are prices going to go up for cars? Yeah, they are. So uh, you might want to factor that into your planning. Right about now, you might want to. Factor that in. It's a good idea. Bob Knight, gone at the age of 83. JMV from 93.5107.5. The fan, uh, he will be with us to break down the career and break down, well, some of that post. What happened after IU? And how is it viewed in Indiana 
and around the country. Tony Katz, 93 WIBC. Good morning. Just remember when you're at a game and you see grass, it's the opposite side of the ball. But if you see hardwood out there, it's the other end of the floor. Try to help you young guys in this profession you've chosen. It's one or two steps above prostitution. Bob Knight gone at the age of 83. Tony Katz, good to be with you. JMV joins us right now. He is the voice of sports in Indiana, 93.5, 107.5, the fan in Indianapolis. And I, I want to dig in on uh, methodology and, and, and impact, uh, but let's start with, with the big overview, JMV. Uh, your initial thoughts on the passing of Bob Knight. Um, it's incredibly sad, incredibly sad and profound for a lot of people out there, too. It's multi-generational, but certainly those, for example, Tony of Generation X like I am, you know, those you know, 45 and older um, absolutely can vividly remember the impact that Bob Knight had. In fact, I go back to 1975. I'm five years old, and my, my first recollection of basketball and in, in enjoying something you know, so incredibly deeply at the age of five was IU basketball. And it started with Coach Bob Knight. He brought so much to so many, and it was always interesting. It was, it was it, like we know basketball in this state now, some people describe it as a religion. He was certainly a part of that. It was, you know, a, a weekly occurrence. You watched the Bob Knight show back on Channel 4. You set your clock for it at noon on Sunday, he is as big a part of the Indiana fabric as anybody has ever been around here. So significance probably doesn't even accurately describe the passing of Bob Knight at the age of 83. What was it about his teams that was significant? Was it about their play? Was it about his style? Was it about... What, what some people might call the, the excesses, or I don't think the way Hoosiers describe it, which part really connected the most? He won his way, and uh, his way was, was working hard. Uh, his way was working together. Uh, he didn't always, I mean, you look at his history, there are not a lot of NBA All-Stars, Tony, on rosters in, in the years. Um, you know, obviously Isaiah Thomas in 81, and he had NBA players in 76. Now, the 76 team was the last team to uh, to go unbeaten in a season. You know, the 87 team led by Steve Alford, you know, far from a, a lot of career NBAers on that team. Again, he wanted his way, and his coaching philosophy was, you're just simply put going to work harder and work together better than anybody else. And, Tony, I grew up in and around Bloomington, and I know, again, that profound impact that he had. It seemed like every coach I ever had, had a style that was directly taken from Bob Knight. Now, that could be both good and bad. Don't get me wrong, but oftentimes it was really good. I mean, we ran motion offense just like IU did. We never played zones because IU never played zones. It was, again, incredible, not just the basketball impact, Tony, that he had on this state, but just the the overall uh, personality that he had I mean he he is one of the all-time greats and I know a lot of people are going to say you're kind of sounding sappy about this right now I'm not trying to, to sound sappy whatsoever I was in the middle of it from the time I was five until right now and to say or describe it in any other fashion would be inaccurate 
talking to JMV, the voice of sports in Indiana from 93.5, 107.5, the fan in Indianapolis. Those three national championships, walk me walk me through it in in then bring it to a comparison to where that stands when you take a look at college basketball as a whole. Yeah, well, I mean, now it's just so incredibly different because of NIL. Um, back then, I mean, it was up to you to recruit guys. And, you know, in 1975, for example, um, he had a team that probably was better than the 76 unbeaten team. And then against Kentucky, Scott May broke his arm, and that kind of ended ended all that. But, but 76, they went unbeaten, ended up beating Michigan in the Spectrum in Philadelphia for the national championship, and nobody has gone unbeaten in an NCAA season since that point in time. Uh, that certainly has stood the test of time. You think about the 72 Dolphins, Tony, in terms of what they did in the NFL, and they celebrate every time a team loses in a season now. That's how long from 1976 that record has stood for IU. At 81, he had Isaiah Thomas back at the Spectrum in Philadelphia. Uh, They went ahead and played that national title game against North Carolina on the night in which there was an assassination attempt by John Hinckley Jr. um, on President Ronald Reagan. Um, Vivid memories about that night. And then 1987, 1987 was a team that struggled early and then got together late and was so fun to watch against Syracuse. Keith Smart with that iconic shot and Britton Musburger with the call. Smart takes the shot. IU ends up winning that. But with probably the national semifinal, Tony, that stands out against UNLV and just an absolutely offensively loaded team from top to bottom that Bob Knight decided to run with. He said, you know, I don't think we can slow these guys down. So he ran with them, unlike any other coach thought he could do, and they ended up knocking off UNLV and then meeting Syracuse and beating them on a Monday night in 1997 for a national title. There, it, it, I mean, everything had a different chapter. And the, the one thing that was always the same was just, again, his profound effect that he had on basketball, around here certainly, but throughout. I mean, you were allowed to coach hard. He coached you hard. And we're not talking about all the other stuff, you know, that is obviously an underlying uh, characterization of Bob Knight right now. But he, he, he coached you hard. Everybody else coached you hard. And it is like a 180 nowadays compared to the way it was back then. And that will always, that will always stick to me as being, you know, the days that basketball was a religion and so loved, especially in the state of Indiana. There's really, there's, there's never, ever going to be anything like it again. So that brings us to, you know, what happened next when uh, in, in 2000 he was removed a, a, as coach. He then goes to Texas Tech for a short while. Uh, I, I don't usually dig into, you know, details about where people were afterwards right and and the effect that it had because like uh like any uh thing it, it's going to bring opinion and i'm not going to tell people they can't have uh, their opinion as you sure. a guy who studies this looking back on it now the furor then the reaction the the, the time that has passed now um was was the post was bob knight after iu um was this more hype than trauma, or did it actually traumatize the state of Indiana? 
I was I was there when he was fired in 2000. There was a Colts game against the Raiders, and then we all found out that that was going down, and we go over on the campus of IUPUI. Um, I, I was there when Miles Brand made that announcement, Tony. It was so incredibly surreal. Now, after so many years of really looking at it and talking to people in and around that program, people that, that obviously studied it even, even more than I did uh, back then, because when I grew up, I was still very young um, as a part of this and a fan more than anything else, Tony, is that it almost seemed like that the end of that chapter at IU was the only way it was going to conclude, if that makes sense to you. I mean, there was so much, there was so much winning. And again, the religion and, you know, the myopic viewpoint of fans. And believe me, back then I was one of them, Tony. I was right there. And the, the things that transpired, especially as we got into the 90s and the later portions of the 90s, um, and we saw an evolution of players. We saw an evolution of attitudes that just simply weren't the same as they were in the 70s and the 1980s. It was always kind of felt that the only way this thing was going to end was the fashion in which it did in 2000, which I think even magnifies his return to the Court of Assembly Hall back in back in 2020, I believe February of 2020, um, when he came out there on the floor. Um, because a lot of people thought that he was never going to be able to do that, and certainly not going to be able to do that before he passed away. And those are one of those moments. That's one of those moments I look back on vividly, thinking I never thought it was going to happen. And it did. And on a day like today, when he passes away at 83, um, you're glad that it did happen because that was probably more for the fan base, Tony, than it was anybody else. That that closure with him stepping on the floor with his former teammates back in t- uh, 2020. But um, it, it certainly was a closure and, and something I think is, is more impactful right now on this day than it even was at that moment back in 2020. With his former with his former players, I I absolutely agree. JMV ninety three five one zero seven five, the fan, the voice of sports in Indiana. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us, Bob Knight, gone at the age of eighty three. I, I mean, I wouldn't know why. I never carry a gun with me. I mean, what am I going to do? I mean, I'm going to play. If I've ever shot a kid, I'd be. I'm scared to play for me. If I, if I walked out there and I'm saying, boy, that son of a bitch shot three guys last year. <laughs> the migrant caravan is now at 7,000 people and climbing. But the border's just fine. Everything's just fine, and if you have an issue with what's going on at the border, well, then you're just a xenophobic racist. Tony Katz, 93 WIBC. Good morning. The initial reports were 3,500 people, people from Cuba, El Salvador, Guatemala, Haiti, Honduras, and Venezuela, left southern Mexico. These things are organized organized and they're heading for the u.s Uh, and soon you will hear the demands you have to let us in and you have to provide us this and you have to give us that it's a weird weird take you have to no we don't and we shouldn't i will keep discussing the issues with the border because the border is 
the top story. The border's the story. I don't know. I don't know how we come close to anything else. The border is everything. Because we have people crossing who are now from Iran. We have people crossing with explosive devices. We do not have it under control. And just like you, that is for a lot of people who believe that that is by design. The idea, whether you go back to Cloward Piven or or you just talk about uh, ideas in Marxism about breaking the West and this is how it's done. Only the United States is told they have to take in everybody. Every other nation will proudly tell you how they don't take in a soul. Well, no, not those European nations. They are going to real, they are not going to. They're already starting to question their immigration issues. You take a look at the rallies and the riots going on with people who want Israel destroyed. And a lot of these nations are saying to themselves, oh, we may have made a mistake here. See, it's one thing to be a nation that engages immigration like we should, by the way, legally. And as people becoming Americans and engaging in the melting pot, it's something else entirely to be uh, letting people into a country who have no interest in being a part of the country and only want to destroy it, who think that their way is a better way. It isn't. It's not. If you came to the U.S., it's clearly a better place than where you came from. And yes, there are those people who come to do damage. So they have no interest in being Americans at all. And it is up to us to take a look at these things, ask ourselves the desires, and yes, say no many times. There's a reason to say no. It isn't bigoted, it isn't xenophobic, it is smart. Smart. And should be done. As a matter of fact, we should say no more often. And then we can work on policies that'll make things better for those who actually want to be Americans. They just actually have to be Americans, which means don't hate where you are and recognize that it's better than where you came from. I didn't say forget where you came from. I haven't forgotten where I come from. But America's better. It's okay. It's a good thing. Tony Katz, 93, WIBC, good morning. When my time on earth is gone and my activities here are past, I want they bury me upside down and my critics can kiss my There are Americans being held in Gaza. While yes, the Rafa Gate is open and some people have been able to get out into Sinai, the reporting states that according to the IDF, It's 230 Americans being held by Hamas in Gaza. Others have reported that number as high as 500. You have Secretary of State Antony Blinken saying in front of the Senate Committee on Appropriations, quote, we're working on this every single day. We have about 400 American citizens and their family members. So it's roughly 1,000 people who are stuck in Gaza and want to get out. That's a lot of different numbers, people. 
that is that is confusing and frustrating and problematic. I'm with you. What we know, what we clearly know, is that Americans are there. And we know that there is an aid package on the table that will get voted on today for $14.5 billion. Democrats are already saying it's a no-go. This was Congressman Dan Goldman, a Democrat from New York, on uh, with uh, the MSNBC people. Well, not the way that the Republicans are doing it, that's for sure. They are trying for the first time ever to condition emergency aid to Israel and, in fact, to any country that we provide emergency aid to uh, on some sort of other offset or requirement. And in this case, and I thought Joe put it so well the other day, it's to protect billionaires. And I know for Republicans, this may seem like a political game, but... Dan Goldman, you can tell me from now until the end of time that um, you think that uh, funding the IRS to the tune of 80 plus billion dollars is about going after billionaires. But if you think this is about going after billionaires, you're out of your head. You're a liar. Of course, the funding of the IRS to the tune of 80 billion dollars and putting the more agents on, some of it is to replace the agents who are retiring. People forget that part of it. But when you start demanding, knowing every single thing somebody does over $600, and you demand it from PayPal and all the rest, you're not going after billionaires, kitten. This is not true. So when you say, hey, here's $14.5 billion for Israel, we're going to take it from this money that we dedicated to the IRS. No one's ever given emergency funding on conditioning before. That doesn't mean they shouldn't. Right? As opposed to saying, here's $14.5 billion worth of fresh dollars, we're going to take it from somewhere else. Well, that's never been done. That doesn't mean it shouldn't have been done in the past. Where I think Republicans have an issue is that they're doing this, and then when it comes to Ukraine, you have um, uh, Mike Johnson, the, the, the uh, Speaker of the House, Saying quite clearly, by the way, that there will be aid for Ukraine. But listen. Well, with our appropriations bills for Ukraine funding, for example, we're going to marry that with border security. Those two things are going to be handled together uh, because we believe it's a top priority. We can't be expected to take care of uh, other countries and other conflicts if we can't seal our own border. But the other responsibility we have is the power of the purse, but also accountability. And that's why our investigations go forward. We're holding these federal agencies accountable. They have been weaponized. They're being used against the very people they're designed to protect and serve. And and we have to seek and push and force accountability in in that way. And our committees have been very very busy at that all the committees of jurisdiction and they'll continue so it's going to be a weird sell to say we think that ukraine aid should not be married to israel aid but we think ukraine aid should be married to border security that's a that's going to be a hard sell but i like the i like the the the, the hubris part if you will yeah we're doing this democrats here you go if, if you wanted somebody who was going to just put it right at him, this is one of the ways to do it. But if Dan Goldman doesn't want the $14.5 billion for Israel, just say so. Just say the words. You don't want it.
You only want it your way? They're offering up an opportunity. You're going to say no to that? Okay, you're going to say no. You explain it to your voters. Go ahead. Go ahead. Explain it to the students at Harvard University. You may have seen the video yesterday where this Jewish student on the Harvard campus and these other students, these pro-Hamas folk, were trying to direct him. No, you can't walk here. No, you can't walk there. They're literally trying to hold up screens around him saying, move this way, move that way. And they're in some of the videos, exit here, exit here. People decide where you get to walk on a college campus. Well, these pro-Hamas types do. He got physically assaulted. He got verbally assaulted. One of the people involved in assaulting this Jewish student is Ibrahim Barmal, B-H-A-R-M-A-L. He is the editor of the Harvard Law Review. This is the kind of lawyer Harvard is putting out. Man, know who you're hiring, kitten. You better know who it is that you're hiring. And if you see one of the Ivy Leagues, you might want to take a pause and ask some questions. Oh, he could be a a, a lawyer, just no one guarantees him a job. Physically and verbally assaulted a, a, a student. It's being said an Israeli student. I didn't know if that was the case or not. And the best is this guy, uh, uh, Ibrahim Barmal. He was at Stanford and won awards for his impact on campus and with the communities he has served locally and overseas. See that? He's a great guy. He attacks Jews, but he's a great guy. Explain to that student and his parents, uh, Representative Goldman, why you won't support aid to Israel. 